contact James live on the air several different ways. You can call by phone, toll free in the United States and Canada at 888-863-2722. If you have internet access, point your browser to www.feet2fire.com. That's www.feet2fire.com. And check the left of the screen for the How to Participate text and click. You can then choose direct chat with James or join the official group chat room. You can send email to James at f2f at intersites.com. That's f2f at i-n-n-e-r-s-i-t-e-s dot com. There is a video chat room to see James in action as well as other F2F listeners. www.ivisit.com has the free software to download and access the Feet to Fire video chat room. And now, live from Chicago, here is the Black Knight of Talk Radio, James Arthur Jancic. Alan Watt is a long-term researcher into the causative forces behind major changes in historical development. Born in Scotland, he watched the subtleties of politics and media as they were guided, as they guided the population of UK covertly into a European amalgamation. He has been warning the North American people for some years now that the same process of amalgamation is being carried out. With historical documentation, he shows how cultures are created and altered by those those in control, always to lead people like sheep into the next pasture. Learn the science of religion, creation, domination. Rather than simply stating current events and details, Alan attempts to deprogram the listener and reader of his works. He has authored three books, made available CDs, and just completed DVDs on the subject. His website is Cutting Through the Matrix, an appropriate title, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And I'd like to welcome back to Feet to the Fire, Alan Wad. Welcome, Alan. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be back, yeah. Now, uh, uh, I thought of you uh, because uh, there's a lot of hoopla going on with the presidential elections and so forth, and there seems to be an air in a way that some people think that things can change. And uh, what kept bringing back in my mind is, uh, from the other times you were here, is that they already know what they're going to do 10 years or more in advance, and that this illusion of changing things is just that, an illusion. Yeah, that's right. These presidents are picked years before the public even hear their names. Often they're groomed for their, for their positions, even from university onwards. And Professor Carl Quigley, who was the, the official historian for the Council on Foreign Relations, in his own book, Tragedy and Hope, said there has been a parallel government running the country from for 60 years, and he, he wrote that in 1960s. So uh, he, he said it's the, they always pick the leaders of each party and the top cabinet, meaning the, the, you know, the vice presidents and advisors. He said the lower politicians are allowed a form of competition amongst themselves between different parties, but the, the upper ones are always picked in advance so that the agenda can carry on uh, without problems, without a hitch. So and that's how it is, yeah. So I, I wonder now, when, and with that being said, and I think of Ron Paul, when you read what he says, it makes a lot of sense. It's almost like 
somebody should be saying. And so my question is, I wonder, do you think Ron Paul himself is like a plant, or is he the real deal, and that's why he's being... Uh, Kind of snubbed by the media and so forth. Does he ever? Does he really have a chance? Is he? Could he be? You know, those kind of questions. I really don't know about the man himself. However, how many times do we have to uh, vote election after election to hear all the right things said by somebody, only to see the, the agenda continue once they're in power? How long does it take us to learn this? Because it happens our whole life long, and. Um, that's what politicians do. They, they tell you what you want to hear. They know what you're saying at, at the street level. They know the problems, and they will tell you what you want to hear. And down through the years, they've always given you different ones to vote for the, the lone gunman that's going to ride into town and save you all so they can sit back and, and drink your six-pack and enjoy life as normal. It doesn't work that way. You have to be uh, involved in life. You have to be involved in the creation of your own destiny. Somebody else is not going to do it for you. In fact, if you hand it over to someone else, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Well, so here, here's where I'm. Uh, by the way, we got you know a couple hours. I'd like you to talk about things that perhaps are on your mind that you're working on. I'll pop up things. So it's going to be kind of a one of those uh, potpourri type things. So feel free to uh, uh, you know talk about a particular thing that you might want to along the way. I, I bringing up Paul Ron Pauls because. It's kind of funny. I mean, I, I'm not a big political type guy. I kind of think the whole system hasn't been listening to us in it for a long time. And But anyway, I, it's just funny how somebody can come along and really hit some things on the head out of left field. And uh, I'm wondering about this whole 9-11 movement, the movies that are coming out, the workshops that are going on. People are being aware. They're waking up. But could this actual waking up be something that would be bring in, say, an, another terrorist attack to bring in martial law or something like that? Well, we know, for instance, here's, we can only go on facts, facts as we know them. And we know that, that Bill Clinton tried to pass a complete anti-terrorism bill and a homeland security bill back in the 90s. And um, we know, too, that uh, it didn't go with the Congress. They wouldn't vote for it. Oh, you there? And suddenly they all changed their minds and voted okay. And with the Oklahoma City bombing, across the whole world, every news station was broadcasting the same clips of these um, militia types going through forest uh, in groups to try and connotate in your mind that that's who was behind this. That was so obvious. They wanted the public... Uh, to think that the, the militia was behind this so that they could bring on martial law and say, see, there are crazy people living amongst you and you don't know it. You have to protect you. So we do know that, that, that they have tried to stimulate people to have small uprisings here and there. Uh, that would make their job of, of uh, totalitarianism much, much more easy if we cooperate and have an uprising. Yeah. Now, they know we're going to have an uprising because... The Department of Defense in Britain a couple of months ago published in the Guardian newspaper a nine-page report from a 90-page report from the top think tank of the Department of Defense outlining the next 30 years or so, and all, all that is in it is uprisings by the public all over the place. 
uh, flash mobs, they call them. They didn't see why uh, Joe Public would get up uh, and switch up his television and go in riots. So obviously we know that they're planning something on the other side which is going to cause them to riot. And um, they're even prepared to use, in their own reports, uh, neutron bombs on the general public. Now, this isn't just for Britain. This is for all NATO countries. So we, when you look at what really is happening, we're moving into an expert-run society. It's a planned society. We've all heard of planned parenthood. Well, here's the planned global society. That's what's coming in where there be no decisions for the average person to make their entire lives long. We know that the Kyoto Conference, uh, they talked about reducing all energy consumption, uh, gasoline, uh, North Sea gas, all the different types of energy we use on a daily basis. It should be scaled right back to even, perhaps even pre-1950s level. You know, you can imagine what's going to happen across the Americas and Canada and the rest of the Europe for that matter. They know there's going to be uprisings, and, and also uh, we see the massive overreaction to supposedly a, a terrorist strike in New York. Even though the very group that's presently fronting for the big powers in, in Congress, even though that very group are the members of uh, the Project for a New American Century, who published in the 90s their own agenda for the 21st century, with starting with a war on, a, on Afghanistan, followed by one on Iraq, then Iran, then Syria. The same group are in today, and we're watching it all unfold. They needed 9-11 to happen, that is obvious. There's no point in trying to prove who really did it, it didn't matter who did it. The fact is, they wanted it to happen, it did happen. And you can't be that lucky when you play the lotto and win the jackpot just when you want it. It was planned that way. It's obvious. It's obvious to anyone. And even Zygmunt Brzezinski, who wrote uh, The Grand Chessboard, also parted the same thing, that they need something on the scale of Pearl Harbor to motivate public behind them on this project for the Middle East. Well, you know, I, I, I agree, and I, I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I figured you would. Um because it looks to me like they're laying down in front of us a, a path that we would kind of naturally fall down. It's like making a little rut and gravity kind of pulling us along. And I'm I'm wondering what you think about the idea that I've been kicking around of simply withdrawing from the system. Now I know if I do it, okay, it won't you know necessarily do much. And I you know if if they even care, I would be you know put in jail or or whatever. But I'm wondering if somehow, whether it be coincidence of people waking up or if there's a spiritual force behind it or what have you, that if a critical mass number of people just pulled out of the system, if that could, uh, you know, stop the forward motion or if it would just, they would just use plan Z and do something else. Well, what they've done in the past, down through history, is when their first plan tends to falter and peter out a little bit, they do give you another terrorist attack or a strike or the threat of it, and the general public, who might be waking up, suddenly are terrified again, and then look to the government for the solution. So they've done this so many times down through history, because we run by psychopaths, basically. It's the only ones who can get to the top in this particular type of system. They're called winners and they get to the top by every and any means possible. 
uh, even if it means killing those to get up there, they'll do it. That's standard in psychopathic behavior. And that's who runs this, this world we're living in. Um, they have no problems about killing millions of people. They plan world wars. They plan world wars in advance. And often after the world wars, they'll actually come out here and there and admit it. You know? So millions of people are nothing to them. The end justifies the means. They've had this work. It's in the works for a long, long time, this global society. And they've had many, many top think tanks all working together, Department of Defense and uh, Pentagon and so on, all figuring out how they can control the vast populations of the world in this new system, which is to be run by experts and bureaucracies. How did they keep track of everyone? How did they control everyone? Because mankind, they say, has always needed an enemy to make them work together. And so the common enemy they've come upon is, well, is two, actually. They're going to blame us for changing the weather, causing weather faults. And that's admitted in the top think tank, the Council on Foreign Relations' own book called uh, The First Global Revolution. They admit that they sat around a table in the 1970s, early 70s, to find a way to make everyone unite together and give up their rights and so on. And they struck upon the idea of convincing the public that they were causing weather changes, when in fact it's all been done by sciences. It's harp technology and the spraying that goes on. So that, that's the main thing that they, they hit upon to get us to get. They give us a common enemy, and we end up being the enemy, humankind itself. It's very clever. But that's published by the founders of the Council on Foreign Relations in their own book. Yeah, and that's what I'm, I'm kind of thinking of. Is like We talked before about Lord of the Rings, and you pointed out some good points about the, the king being of a supreme race and all that. But uh, And it's, it was point well taken, and I really kind of look at that I remember that when I look at it. But one thing I still keep going back to is how the overall winning in this Lord, uh, uh, with the Lord of the Rings, was to approach what the, the that Lord liked the most, which is power in his ring, to reject that power. In fact, uh, discard that power, destroy the power, and and he can't, he couldn't even fathom that approach, even though he had superior military and and whatnot. That never entered his mind, and I'm wondering if there's an, an analog we could use where if the powers that be here are thinking of controlling and manipulating and money and oil and energy and all these power type things, if the some critical mass of people would simply walk away from that, which would be unfathomable for them, uh, yeah. do you think that something similar like that could happen here? It would, it would take a miracle, but you're right, that's what it would take. It would be a miracle. You'd, you'd need people to literally stop giving them the attention they want. You see, government itself is only an abstract idea. That's all it is. That's all government is, is someone's idea. And you've been conditioned to believe it's a concretized thing in your mind, and very real, and you're afraid of it. That's why they use force. They prefer to use coercion, but they always back it up by force if you don't obey. But that's all it is. If people just stopped and said, no, enough, enough, and the king has no clothes, and uh, you point out the psychopathic personalities for what they are, there's nothing to hide behind. They need the public's uh, acceptance of them. Uh, we acquiesce to, to every demand they make. Uh, we, we have to agree to every demand they make or they can't make them at all 
no matter what law or court it comes from or the highest court, it makes no difference if we simply say enough and no. That's what it would take, yeah. And, of course, the question is, uh, you can't teach people to do it. Uh, but w- what I'm kind of banking on is a little bit more metaphysical. Uh, and I realize that metaphysics is just another technique a lot of times for control. I've, I've been involved in groups that where I've seen through that. But I'm wondering that if not in the background, individual people are being readied in their own individual worlds so that there would be this awakening uh, uh, on conscious to conscious level where people would kind of like all come on with the same idea of bedding up with the system, have had enough with it, pulling out uh, without enough warning and in enough masses. I know I'm doing a lot of <laughs> ifs there, but I'm trying to think of something. I'm kind of putting a hopeful creative energy forth with some plan other than just to throw up our hands and wait to be eaten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the... The problem is most people don't think things through at all. What they're trying to do is save the system as they know it, because it's the only one that they know. However, you can't save something which is totally corrupt from top to bottom and and held together with band-aids. You can't save it when it's already completely corrupt. And even if you could keep it this way, it would stay corrupt. You still have injustice. It's, It's not humane. It's not a humane system. It's anti-human, in fact. It's for, as I say, the psychopathic winners. It's, it's made by them, for them, to serve them. And the culture they give us is also a psychopathic culture where we're taught not to look at all those who don't quite uh, make it up the ladder of life. And it's tough luck on them. That's how we're taught to think. That is anti-human. That is against survival itself. So if you look at the primitive tribes, the ones that can survive through anything, the whole group looks after everyone else. Everyone is important in the group. And it's only in this culture that we discard people and we classify them according to their economic income, their abilities, and their usefulness to this particular society. And yet we're all slaves in the society. We're wage slaves and tax slaves. So, you know, really what you're you're looking for to get out of this it's a different way, a different way that they haven't thought of because they do expect people to hit them head on in a traditional fashion, which is with fists and guns and so on. And mm-hmm. they're all prepared for it. They've been prepared for it for a long time. What we must do is find another way and decide for ourselves for the very first time because it hasn't been done uh, for a thousand years uh, or two thousand years. We have to say, what is life about? Is the economic system here to serve us, or are we here to serve the economic system? That has to be worked out and hammered out in a new way found, but not the way that they have planned. We must go a different course. Well, I tell you, if I could say amen uh, in this, I, I would. It, it, I'm, I'm encouraged. I, I see that's the answer. The odds are against it. You, it, you said a very important point I want to underline. It would be the first time in history. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems to me like the stakes have been raised enough so that either we're going to do it or uh, go down in it, if you will. It seems like the motivation might be getting high enough, and depending upon how long we don't do the right thing, is going to be how bad it gets. So There's speak. no doubt. There's no doubt. And and even if people don't do this and they carry on as they think is normal, even though normal is changing by the day now, 
uh, most people are going to perish anyway because the elites really mean it when they talk about their 21st century agenda, Agenda 21, with vast population reductions, moving the people into these new habitat areas, which really are just the overcrowded cities, and starting to bring down the population rapidly. They mean what they say, and you'll find that from the United Nations, Agenda 21. People should look through it. These guys are not kidding. So we have no option anyway, you see. Right. Either do something and figure out a new way, which is not their way, um, or sit back, pretend everything is fine, and uh, allow ourselves to be chopped off one by one. Yeah, it's, it's like volunteering to let go of your system. I mean, the system that we use to go to work, the taxes, the housing, the banks, to voluntarily walk away from it. And if there's a certain amount of people who do that to create a freedom through that way, which would have a cost and a price to pay, or be whittled down so we're all going to be killed uh, for fodder anyway. I mean, it's like, which way do you want to go? Do you want to try to do the right thing and go down if it comes down to it, or do you want to go down? <laughs> it's like, you got no choice. You have no choice. And I say the other choice is no choice at all. The one which says you can keep what you have, you can keep this system. As I say, this is not our system and never was our system. It's a psychopathic system run by those at the top. Very rich people, very rich families, a few thousand of them. And uh, they run basically the whole world because they, they, they own the entire resources of the whole planet. And they look upon us as a resource as well. Only now we're becoming burdensome in, a, in an age of uh, technology and robots. They don't need so many people anymore. And they plan to kill us off. They've written about it uh, in their own books at the top. Okay, well, hold on right there. Uh, we're, we'll come back and continue. We are talking with Alan Watt, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, books, CDs, um, DVDs, etc., to share all this knowledge. We're only going to be touching a small fraction of what Alan has to offer, and the phone lines will be open and uh, emails and chats and whatnot for people to get your questions directly in. 888-863-2722, and the email is f2f at intersites.com. Those in the chat room know what to do. We'll be back live right after this. And we're back live with Alan Watt, and welcome back, Alan. It's a pleasure to be on. Yeah, yeah I appreciate you taking this time here because uh, I'm doing a show here for, well, I'm on my fifth year, and, and talking with people through my life, it's rarely do I bump into somebody who's got like this clear edge. They can see through things, and uh, it's it's great because uh, from a different perspective, you you show a little detail. So I'm like, oh yeah, you know. So then I can kick it around, and, and I appreciate uh, you coming out and doing this. No doubt, there is some kind of a risk, I would imagine, uh, since you you may end up waking up people. But I guess perhaps they're so arrogant to think that uh, it's more amusing than threatening to them. They're pretty confident now that they've got it all in the bag because they spent such a long, long time in preparation for this. They were writing about this global society at the beginning of the 1800s and all the problems they could encounter. Different authors were employed to be frontmen for the Royal Institute for International Affairs and they, like H.G. Wells, and they talked about the global 
society to come, which they call a utopia, which for the elite it will be a utopia when they have everyone brain-chipped and, uh, and brain-dead, basically. The, so this is nothing new. They've prepared for this for a long, long time. And everything in their system goes in threes. So you have World War One, Two. This is World War Three you're in right now. And this war, Rumsfeld summed it up. And we must listen to these little phrases they use. They, they really mean them. Uh, they're high, high occultic Masonic uh, phrases they use. But Rumsfeld said, this war might take a hundred years. And you look into history and you see the previous wars that were a hundred year wars, even though the, the first one really was 115 years. But they love these, these repetitions of previous times and bringing it back to life again. The Hundred Years' War is to change all of society. Men, women, children, everything. The whole way of marriage is going out the window. The whole way of living is to be up, go out the window. And you've literally come into an Aldo Huxley, a real Huxley and Brave New World. That's their goal, where we will serve them happily as slaves and be unable to even think consciously as a, an individual separate person. This was discussed at their major meetings, on uh, global meetings, sponsored by the U.S. Department of Commerce and held in Loyola University in Louisiana. Uh, they had the top scientists there from biotech uh, uh, companies, and they said that the new society will be chipped. They have the chip ready to go. They said it's only a matter now of conditioning the public of the necessity of taking it and making them want it uh, because the supercomputers are set up regionally already to handle vast populations of programming. And they said there'll be no more such, no, no more individualism. It'll be impossible to even perceive of yourself as a distinct separate individual when this chip is implanted. They said they would use novels, cartoons, movies to, to promote it to the young, to make them want it. And lo and behold, since that, with that meeting, we've had a whole slew of the very things they're talking about come to pass. And the youngsters actually want this chip. They think we'll have superpowers. That's how you condition the vast herds of people. Everything in our life that we think is natural in the culture is actually given to us and marketed into our heads. There's nothing natural in the system at all. That's where the uh, mutants come in with uh, the X-Men and so on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, actually, I never never thought about that with the mutants of it, uh, that they they could be like them uh, um, by using this kind of thing. And you notice a lot of these people uh, look, it used to be that they looked at rock bands and what have you as heroes, but uh, now we're getting more into the biological, chemical, political, uh, war-type uh, heroes people want to emulate. Mm-hmm. I have a question here uh, coming. You'd mentioned before a couple times about... Um, psychopaths and what have you. How is it that these group of people seem to have a disproportionate amount of the psychopathic mentality to succeed? Is it because they're coming from maybe rich family and they're being groomed, or is it genetically passed on, or something else? Uh, Plato talked about it 2,300 years ago. Plato was a member of the aristocracy, and he wrote the book, uh, The Republic. That was a a, a prototype, or or a ground plan really for this new world order and uh, he talked about a time to come when they could literally breed people for specific tasks and functions just like you breed animals, you can breed large ones and small ones by selecting the mates for them but however in in that book he gives away the very process by which the psychopath is, is 
created, at least uh, perpetuated, and that is that the elite have always selected their mates for the same qualities of power and riches, whether it's male or female, and the priests match them up for that. And as Plato says, we can breed in or out of a person specific traits or qualities. So for a king or, or those who are in high power, you want them to be fairly ruthless and less emotional, and that's what we have. We have hereditary psychopaths at the top who are guaranteed to have the offspring the same way. Yeah, you know, it's another thing is when you when you think about the way it's been shown to us that the kings chose their sons or what have you is you wanted to keep that genetic material which made the good king and it's kind of uh, skewed that you have a good wise uh, king, of course, he's going to send that wise uh, seed and then he's going to train that wise seed uh, but in reality, uh, the opposite is true, like you're saying. Generally, you'll have a good guy, and it seems to dissipate, if not the next generation, whether it be a business, whether it be a government. It's the bad guys who seem to uh, persevere. Absolutely. In a monetary system, that's all that can really get to the top, because those without conscience can do that. They're ruthless. That's the only way to get to the top, is by being ruthless and very cunning. And, and and you sleep well at night. You don't need tranquilizers or sleeping pills. You you um, get rid of whoever is in your way by any means possible. Generally, it's through intellectual power games, and uh, that's how you get to the top. So this, this is a purpose-made system. In a money system, that's all you they could ever get to the top. To be honest with you. There's a question. It's been like this. There's a question coming before we go from the psychopath. Uh, is there any scientific works out there uh, concerning psychopaths, uh, I guess, such as these and their creation? Yeah, there are. You, you can definitely go into um, the study. It's, strangely enough, there was lots of studies being done right up into the 1970s and when the psychiatrists began to look at the psychopathic traits. Instead of looking at the crook at the bottom on the street level, they started to see the same phenomena all the way up to the top into political groups. And Henderson and Gillespie, uh, their textbook of psychiatry, uh, written about the 1972, um, did quite a good expose on their personality types. And there's, there's other books out there as well on pathocracies. If you look for the term pathocracy, you'll, you'll come up with different books. Mainly, it's a term derived from the uh, scientists in the, the ex-Soviet Union who, re- who were doing studies on their own leaders and, and realized they were all psychopathic and then when they looked into the personality profiles of the Western politicians, they realized they were the same as well. So we have this, this system can only allow the psychopath to the top. Remember, the psychopath um, doesn't feel emotion, but they grow up like a camera watching other people work and, and interacting, and they're very good at acting, incredibly good actors. They, they, can, they understand intuitively what the public want, and they will be what you want. They'll be your man. They'll see what you want to hear. And that's why they're, they go into politics where there's power. Uh, so there are standard traits to the psychopath. And one good thing about them is that when you understand their nature, they're very predictable. Very predictable. In fact, they can't go any other way than the, the direction they're going in right now for total control. So when, um, when we think of this... Uh aspect of the, this control and whatnot. 
what I what what came to me was years ago. I I just was thinking about Reagan going to Gorbachev and talking about turning down the wall and everything. And I and I kind of fantasized or theorized the 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 statement was, look, you guys over here are using muscle and guns to control your people, and uh, you know we we can show you how to do it uh, by getting them to want to go along. We can talk people into going along. And um, so you guys use guns to force people in there. That's old hat. Tear down the wall. We'll share or make a deal or what have you so that you can control your people so that they will do what you want to do by free will. Yeah, that's right. You see, there's nothing new in culture creation. You're born into a system, and if your parents don't know that it's all wrong or manipulated, the child will take it for granted that it's natural. And Lenin talked about this. And Stalin talked about it, but Lenin said that the public will never know that there are a thousand ways that society could go off and live, a thousand different directions. They must, but they mustn't know this, he says. They must believe that the system they're born into is the only natural one that could possibly have evolved. And that's exactly what's happened to, to everyone. They think this can be the, the, the only natural system there is, like a natural progression. It never dawns on them that every step of their lives, their parents' lives, and their grandparents was guided to where we are today. It was all planned that way. Yeah. And it, um, and it's in that same kind of vein when you, when you have the system set up for you, and that people have gone along with it for so long and becomes normal, and then the people who step out of line, it's actually easy for the incumbency to keep the status quo by simply pointing out that. The guy or the gal or the person who actually has the right idea and seeing truth is really the one who is nutty. Exactly. If you see Bertrand Russell, Lord Bertrand Russell, was one of the big players in this very system. He worked for Tavistock Institute, as did Huxley and many others, who, who wrote about the coming system. And there, they did lots of experiments on on patients that were brought in. And they put wires in their heads back in the 1930s and 40s and 50s and tried to stimulate them and see if they could turn them into robots, in fact. But Bertrand Russell said, after studying and having the access, access to archives written by very high professors, uh, archives that are kept fairly secret from the general public on uh, the human behavior, he said, there is no nonsense, no nonsense so arrant but it cannot be made the creed or the belief of the vast majority by adequate government action. That's exactly what he said, his very words. And uh, it's like Adam Weishaupt, he said, Oh foolish man, what can you not be made to believe? These are sciences. These are sciences which are taught to very few people, kept in archives as opposed to public libraries. And the leaders... Uh, get their lackeys to work for them and they get access, access to these archives and they sit in think tanks and literally plan the future. They plan what fashions you're going to have five or ten years from now, what kind of music you're going to have, uh, what effect it will have on the psyche of the young. So uh, this is how it's all planned and always has been planned this way. Plato said that nothing can be, can be allowed to occur in the grassroots, culture-wise, because they would have unforeseen rippling effects. Therefore, all culture must be uh, authorized from the top down. That's music, uh, uh, fashion, and drama especially, and Plato went into detail on those particular sciences. 
Yeah, I think there was a quote that's coming to mind here uh, from Einstein. To make the per- perfect sheep, mm-hmm. you have to, oh, gosh, what was it? Oh, I'll, I'll get it, and I'll bring it back up as we go along here. We're talking to Alan Watt, and it's your chance to ask questions. I mean, I'm getting emails and, and all that stuff in here. We do have a phone line, and uh, that is the preferred method, since this is a talk show, where people you know do like to uh, sit back and listen and just send a type in, which we will do, but hopefully somebody... Uh, would, would choose to talk with us rather than just throw a line at us. Oh, here it is. In order to form an immaculate member of a flock of sheep, one must, above all, be a sheep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right. is there, I mean, we're hoping uh, for a savior. It seems to be the inbred thing. But, gosh, is it possible that one might show up? A savior? Mm-hmm. I mean, is that an outside chance possible? For a savior? Yeah. Um, for a savior, there's an outside chance because everyone can be their own savior if they really try. Because everyone is being given a choice and has been given a choice their whole life uh, as to where this society is going. Most don't take up the challenge. They let it pass them by and uh, let others do it for them. So they can't really, no one can really ever say, I didn't know what was happening. They can't really ever, ever really say that. No one on this planet can say that. So, you know, you are your own savior. Uh, you are your own champion. It's a matter of, of uh, accepting the challenge, accepting the responsibility to yourself as well, and being true to yourself before you can be true to others. That's the difference. Between- Talking with Alan Watt, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Live on Feet to Fire. We're going to stop, take a little break, come back and continue. Hang in there. We'll see you. Live with Alan Want, and welcome back, Alan. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Um, uh, somebody sending a message here, um, and there may be questions that may be slightly redundant as far as to- uh, points you uh, uh, talked about, but you can also use it as a launch pad to fill in around. A uh, question coming in from the chat room is: What is the Illuminati's Achilles heel? Their Achilles heel. Ultimately, it doesn't matter for the public, because the time that this happens, the public will be mainly destroyed and altered. But their Achilles heels, the power cannot be satiated. It's a deviant uh, need that they have. The psychopath basically is a deviant. They're called the deviant creation, even in ancient times, because they could kill without conscience or have others do it for them. That's really the trait, is to have others do it for them. Um, Their Achilles heel is that there'll be one throne of the world shortly, the first king of the world and uh, they can cooperate to an extent until they see the throne and then each one wants it so they'll start fighting amongst themselves towards the top that, that can be counted upon however when the titans fight amongst themselves they tend to destroy a little people at the bottom uh, along the way so it won't save the, the general public they'll already have uh, annihilated most of them by then well, that's a good point. I've often said that in looking at the uh, service to others and service to self mentality, which some call the positive or negative uh, aspect, or good or evil, is that 
The problem with the service to self or negative or evil is that there only could be one person left, ultimately, uh, because every time you have uh, more than one, they're going to fight for that one. So if uh, evil does win, you would have a world with nobody but one person. But then after that, the whole point of having the one person would be to control the masses. So you would have one person who would win, and then would sit down like Alexander and cry, because there's nothing else to conquer. That's right. That's right. And when the psychopath has nothing left to conquer, they just simply turn around to be cruel for the fun of it. It's like uh, breaking the, the legs on the cattle in a field and then kicking the, the cow because it can't get up. Uh, that's, that's the mentality of it. See, a psychopath only worships the power and those who are more powerful than themselves. That's why they stick together like crazy for a long time on the way up. Each one will bow down to the, and grovel to the one above them. They worship that person because they have such power. They're very faithful up until that point. But they also hate the ones beneath them who are weaker. They despise weakness in society. And, of course, we see this in the eugenics programs that are now called bioethics agendas. They've changed the terminology to fool the public. But the same people that brought you uh, the eugenics society before World War II in the U.S. through Rockefeller and his family and, and the foundation uh, and brought Adolf Hitler along, it's the same people in charge today. Uh, they can't change their nature. That's what I say. The psychopath can be predicted because he's a predictable nature. And they always use the same formats. They hate the weak, and they will want to try and eliminate the weak. And eventually, they'll, they'll start bringing new definitions of the weak or the unsuitable, and the categories will go up and up and up until most people are included in them. That's how they work. Well, you can see that in some uh, movies where you have the individual respecting the warrior who they kill in a, some kind of respectable manner, why they uh, kill in a disrespectful manner uh, the lesser people. But all in all, it's still killing. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. that one's more honorable, I guess. That's right. That's right. As I say, they, they, they have a, an odd a code amongst themselves. They love the term knights, even though they're not really knights at all, because they don't personally take part in the battles that they start and the wars that they start they sit behind desks and, and drink brandy and have fun uh, that's the psychopath in fact they sneered all the fools that do their work for them they think they're so intelligent and superior yeah they get the, that's why the uh, we can see that in, what, in the troops who are fighting in the wars here if they really did revere the service they did when they come back and are lo- no longer uh, uh, fighters be it injured or simply their tour duty is up, they simply throw them in a trash can because they're of no use anymore. There's a disdain even more for the warrior who is, comes back injured than there is for the person who doesn't even go. That's right. They, they really, you can see that in the VA hospitals. I get a lot of uh, fellows phoning me in an awful shape, some of them, and they're, they're just discarded. They're completely ignored and discarded because they are now weak. Yeah, they're, 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 they're physically weak and so on and they're despised by the superiors and there's nothing new in this this happened in the Falklands War with a, with a, a young captain in the Scots Guards in fact and he got part of his, bla- his brain blown off by a high velocity bullet and they did manage to save him but he was paralyzed for a while but he came into the mess, the officer's mess uh, with his full uniform on 
and eventually was told to stop coming in because he was embarrassing the rest of the men with his crutches and so on. Yeah, yeah well, that's that's great. That's where I think uh, if you if you really want to see this thing, if if you are out there listening and you're growing up and thinking that we'll say this, and in fact I had a guy on last week, uh, nothing personal with the man. It's just his position was that the United States is the good guy uh, and Israel fighting the bad uh, Arab terrorists and whatnot and so on. And people grow up and attach that that kind of thing to their government, and it's up there with God and country. And when you when if they were to look at the evidence apart from the emotion, and just looking at how the uh, warriors are being treated when they come back as injured, right there is a strong message uh, to the disdain that these individuals have for those who actually go do the ultimate service for them. Yes, yeah, they've always been discarded. Uh, this happened in World War Two. And they used Canadian, mainly Canadian troops and some British commandos to go into Dieppe in France uh, as a test for, for D-Day. And uh, they knew, Winston Churchill knew uh, that, that it was heavily defended. They knew it all altered since the plans were first laid. And uh, Mountbatten, Dickie Mountbatten, or Tricky Dickie as they called him, uh, it was his show, and he wanted to get done anyway. Well, the night they, were, they all went in and were getting slaughtered, thousands of men got slaughtered. It was a, it was a suicide raid. And, uh, you know, Mountbatten and Winston Churchill were up drinking brandy all night and having a good old time. See, only a psychopath could do that. They knew what was going to happen. But Winston Churchill was playing with toy soldiers and doing these battle reenactments in a big room he had in Blenheim Palace, his big country home. Um, right till he died and he saw those little toy soldiers the same way as he saw the human ones there was no difference in his mind no difference at all in his mind uh, they were all just, just un, unrealistic to him, unnatural he was a, a psychopathic personality he couldn't identify with real people yeah it, um, in fact we got some questions we're going to take a break in about 30 seconds so I'm going to come back I have a whole line of questions uh, or maybe I say a broad subject to talk about about like what is exactly Zionism and what is Zionist because there seems to be this uh, trick that's being played uh, just like when you talk about African American politicians or something that if you're against an African American politician then you're against the African American or the black and if you say Zionist, then you are a, a anti-Semite, and it's a uh, it's a game here. I'd like you to comment on. But first, we're going to ta- we'll take a break. It's the top of the hour for local station identification and all that stuff, and we'll be back to continue. We have a full hour with Alan Watt. Your phone the phone lines are open eight 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 six three two seven two two. The emails, chats, and all that stuff is open. Now's the time to get your questions in. An hour is going to go really quick <laughs> with this man. So uh, hang in there, stay tuned, and we will be back.
soon as you're born, they make you feel small. By giving you no time instead of it all. Till the pain is so big you feel nothing at all. A working class hero is something to be. A working class hero is something to be. They hurt you at home and they hit you at school. They hate you if you're clever and they despise a fool. Till you're so fing crazy you can't follow the rules. A working class hero is something to be. A working class hero is something to be. When they're tortured and scared you for twenty odd years, then they expect you to pick a career. When you can't really function, you're so full of fear. A working class hero is something to be. Working class hero is something to be. Keep you doped with religion and sex and TV. Think you're so clever and classless and free. But you're still fing peasants as far as I can see. You can contact James live on the air several different ways. You can call by phone, toll free in the United States and Canada at 888-863-2722. If you have internet access, point your browser to www.feet2fire.com. That's www.feet2fire.com. And check the left of the screen for the How to Participate text and click. You can then choose direct chat with James or join the official group chat room. You can send email to James at f2f at ipsmediaworks.net. And now, live from Chicago, here is the Black Knight of Talk Radio, James Arthur Jancic. There's room at the top, they are telling you still. But first you must learn how to smile when you kill. Well, I tell you, this song could be a guest when we're talking about here. We have Alan Watt, live from Canada, cutting through the Matrix, and welcome back, Alan. Yes, pleasure to be back. Yeah. You know, so John Lennon uh, wrote this song, he pretty much had it on uh, on the mark, and he's dead. It, I mean, did, 
somebody like him or other people, did they just die from circumstance, or is they actually thought to be a threat or something like that? Uh, Lenin, I, I know it's a, kind of a guess, or uh, but I'm just well, wondering. No, it's not really a guess. I mean, there's no doubt that it was known that he was... See, Lenin, like others who were put up there and, and followed certain rules to get up there, thinking they were working for a different kind of utopia because of the professors that took them over and so on. They did believe in a, a, a classless society. See, all cultures created, and some of the biggest bands are promoted for certain reasons, and some of them are even created. Uh, some of them don't even know each other before they're picked out of a lineup, but, but and then put together and, and told to sing certain songs. But Lenin was the more of a natural rebel. He was in a dilemma, too, because he married a, a banker's daughter from Japan. Um, so he sort of betrayed his own system, but he couldn't live with it. Um, where he was killed, I remember it was a strange circumstances, because I think it was a congressman's son uh, that just happened to go out and uh, shoot him in the head that night. How he knew where he'd be, I don't know. That's rather mysterious in itself. But the, where he was shot was outside the door of the house that was used for Rosemary's Baby, the movie, the first real horror movie to do with the occultic elite. Uh, and that in itself is highly symbolic, you know. Hmm. Yeah. So he could have been troubled down the road because he was starting to speak out and sing out about... Uh, the very fact that he himself had been betrayed, I think he was rather angry about it. He'd been kind of set up to lead the youth, and then he realized, I think, that, that the ones who were guiding him were, were the, perhaps the enemy. We do have a phone call coming in here. Let's grab this. Hello, you're live on the air with Alan Watt. Hi, um, this is Jean from uh, Rockford, Illinois. And, um, Alan, I, I want to make a couple of comments. First of all, and ask you a question. First of all, um, on the John Lennon thing, um, I'm not convinced that he was led by them so much as I think he knew what was going on. If you read some of his writings, and I think it was from you that I first heard about the fact that the Beatles might not have written all of their own music. Was that from you? Yeah, that's right. Uh, they didn't own okay. their own music, in fact. They didn't own it. Right, it and... Owned, uh, and if you if you look at some of the readings of John Lennon, he um, implies that Paul would come in and just throw the music down and say, "You write the lyrics." And so it's almost like in some of his writings, he's telling us that Paul didn't write all this music. So I think it was Paul. And secondly, about his murder, um, I'm convinced, and certain other people are that have read a lot about him, that um, that was perpetuated by. Oh, I don't know what England's, uh, what is it, M15 or whatever their CIA counterpart is over there. Yeah, and, um, yeah. and I think it had something to do with Reagan coming into office and Bush won and this whole new sort of um, economic, social thing that was going on with these neoconservatives. Um, now, maybe I'm wrong, but it just seems like it sort of fit in there. All right, well, let's hear and, with the... Alan has to say about it. No, it wasn't about the neoconservatives. You see, the, the neoconservatives is a term used in Britain before you hear it in the U.S. Margaret Thatcher first used it to okay, describe yeah. her own party. It, it was the progress. They called it progressive conservatives. And in the U.S., it was really a code term for the takeover of the of 
the elite to run the system the way they decided it should be run without all this democratic nonsense, as they called it. They said that democracy was simply too too uh, confusing. It took so long to debate any point that nothing could be done, and they decided that they would run it to an agenda and give a pretense of political fighting. And that's what we have today. There is no politics. It's just a, a show for the public. The agenda is full steam ahead. So they didn't care about Lenin that way. What they cared about is someone like him who could spill, spill the beans and a lot of stuff to do with the culture creation industry and the scams that go on and how they had created the, the mindset of the youth, uh, they, how they had helped uh, destroy the family unit by the types of music they were told to promote. And... Um, and also how to, to, to so-called liberate the, the, the sexes until they, they were so um, sexed out they couldn't bond with anyone anymore. That was all written about in the early 1900s that they do this. So um, Lenin understood this perfectly well, and, and he had a lot of uh, rethinking to do. He also, when he came over to Canada in the 1960s, he was a big fan of Marshall McLuhan, uh, the professor who really went into different ways of perceiving how the society perceived things. And uh, McLuhan told him, he told Lenin, he says, you know, you're being used. And that's when he, he suddenly became very depressed and all the problems started because he respected McLuhan's opinion. I, I see, okay. And I noticed um, that Lenin got in trouble really when he came back into popularity and his album was rather, you know, family, nice, loving uh, type of a thing. He uh, was, when he was kind of mad and on, on the outside, uh, it seemed it didn't matter. It just seemed like all of a sudden, hey, new album coming out. It's doing really good. It's got good potential. And boom, you know, it's like stop this before it gets any farther. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for calling. Thank you. All right. I got an email coming in here uh, from someone. Uh, there's a couple of questions on here. I'll throw one out for now, and uh, we can come back to it. Uh, he also, by the way, recommends buying your books and CDs. Uh, two Reality Check DVDs are extremely informative. So the question is, can you talk a little bit more about the brain chip, the mechanics? How does it work in your brain? What effect will it have on people to be connected to regional computers? How far, how far back in time in the beginnings of development of the microchip does this agenda go? Okay, they have it ready to go. I have copies of the, the ones they're talking about. I have the, 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 the actual photographs and the blueprints of it from the company that makes them. And uh, they are ready to go. They've been tried and tested, and they're active little chips, uh, which can be activated by even the heat from your own body. It converts it into, into an electrical energy. So it's an active chip. Now, as far how far back do they go? Uh, Back in the 1950s, we know now that they did have um, solid-state, actually microcircuitry, the type that we are using right now and we're told is the latest thing. So back in the days of the tubes for television and radios, before you even got the transistor radio, uh, they, had, they already had uh, microcircuitry, the solid-state circuitry that we see in... Um, computers and, and uh, wristwatches and so on. The CIA were using high-tech weapons back in the 50s. They could slip in their pockets. They could put thoughts right into your brain. And this was shown on national television in Canada by Nick Bigage, uh, who does the harp monitoring. And uh, he demonstrated it to the host, Wendy Mesley, 
on her shell and uh, he made her stand 20 feet away he pointed it at the back of her head and she heard music right in the center of her head and as he said it could just as easily have been words or something else he put into her head if he wanted to the only thing he didn't answer is how come he had all of this equipment. <laughs> I was just going to uh, Yeah, I mean, you can't buy that at the Army Surplus Store. And I'm always a bit wary because they give us our heroes with a, a very good start, you know. So, but they had this uh, technology a long time ago. There are three levels of science on the go at all time. Uh, at the bottom level, what the public are fed is called research that means to search again um, because the searching has already been done on a higher level and there's a higher level above that because the true controllers will never even share their high-tech weaponry with, the, with their military class at the top they always make sure they have the highest stuff but back in the 1960s a new phenomena occurred in psychiatry whereas schizophrenics used to come in with traditional types of hallucinations and delusions mainly to do with religion or, or, or hearing voices and that, that type of thing uh, but generally with the religious content in it um, suddenly very very suddenly uh, hospitals were, were getting people coming in who claimed they had chips in their spine and they called them chips or mini computers and they said that big computers were controlling them this is before that even the term computer was popular in the public mind and uh, what turned, turned out when you followed a lot of these people up uh, who claimed they were being controlled remotely from a distance uh, they'd all been ex-military and often had minor operations while in the military where they were put under general anaesthetic so I'd imagine that's when were, these chips were implanted in them so they were testing them back on individuals back in the 60s who hadn't a clue that they were the guinea pigs well, now, um, with this chip aspect of it, um, can, is there, is there, is that, is it 100% like if they get it in you, it's over type of thing? Or, uh, I mean, because. Yeah. yeah. So all they have to do is just stick it in like food or, uh, what have you, and people ingest it and have it like just cling on to maybe, uh, your esophagus or something, and then that's it. Well, that's one type that can be done. Um, we, we saw this movie and, uh, this in a movie called Fortress, in fact, uh, but an underground prison where a lot of the major ones now are being built underground, where they make you swallow something that attaches itself to your stomach, and can cause pain, inflict pain, and do things like that. However, the one that they're, they're going to give to the public is to be inserted in the back of the skull, just like the Matrix plugged in. Well, that's where it's to be inserted. And here's the odd thing from the company that I've got the, the blueprints from. Uh, above your head, there'll be a ring like a halo that you can wear on your head. There'll be a form of antenna which will amplify the signal. And it just happens to be that Arthur C. Clarke, who got the Nobel Prize for predicting that satellites would one day uh, be around the world uh, and uh, in communication with each other, etc., only because he was in the in crowd, who wrote 2001 and 2010 back in the 1960s, um, meaning that the, the New World Order would kick off in 2001 and be all complete by 2010. But he, in his latest book, 3001, he just happens to mention that this little chip with the ring on the head in his novel, by coincidence, 
These guys don't dream these things up. They're given this information and they write it into a fictional form. And that's called predictive programming to make us think there's a natural evolution when it actually appears. You get the idea first and then it seems quite natural when it comes into reality. So the chip is ready to go. It will be implanted in the back of the skull and now they're pushing for the next step already. I'm sure that's ready to go as well eventually, which will be the nanotechnology. I don't think the nanotechnology is quite um, perfected yet to be predictable. Because then, actually, by, by following through its logical conclusion, the movie The Matrix would be like old uh, technology, old sloppy, big technology compared to what's coming down the pipe. It, it is. In fact, even when they made the movie, it was old because... Uh, Sweden it was the first country that publicly announced, even though Britain had been done it, doing this in Tavistock, and Huxley talked about it in the 1960s, but Sweden in the 1970s admitted that they were using certain prisoners to interface with the brain with the computer, with wires, etc., uh, and what we now call the old-fashioned way. Uh, so, yeah, e- even even that was old stuff, really, yeah. So what I guess I'm, I'm thinking about is uh, with this technology, it seems like it is already over, and yet I, I I don't sense that. I mean, as much as the odds are against it, I still think there is mm-hmm. something. And we've talked about part of it before, but when it comes to this technology, what could we possibly do to resist it uh, other than try to avoid having it stuck in us, which seems to be uh, just a matter of time? It's a matter of time, but remember, it's like the old uh, song to Satan, you know, the time is on my side. Uh, that's how these guys run. They run intergenerationally. We think in short term, they think it's in generations. And when you realize that everyone, no one could have pre- predicted amongst the general populace that they would all be sitting playing with computers right now and are using the cell phones. Some people can't even do without the cell phone. They have it strapped to their ear everywhere they go. They're ready for the brain chip. In fact, they're being trained. And, and they're ready for it. But so, the thing is, these characters literally uh, can introduce this and make the children, the youngsters they're after, they're aiming all their movies and their superheroes uh, with brain chips and so on at the young to make them actually want it. And they'll come into it thinking it's as natural as the computer is to the previous generation. They'll actually want it. It isn't so enough have it that they'll flick the main switch and the real purpose kicks in and there's no more you. I guess you said that Loyola was think of it more like the hive. That's the actual words from the top Japanese uh, scientist from Japan that they brought over. He said it'll be more like the hive. You'll have no quietness in your mind. You'll hear whispering of voices to and from the computer to others around you. Well, on that, on that uh, aspect, um, with the, with the pulse devices and all that, is it possible there might be some kind of a of a, of a simple? I, I think of the movie, these speaking of H.G. Wells, War of the Worlds, where they have the virus that and kind of a small little insignificant thing to us, which kills the invaders. Could that not be, uh, in a way, something that could happen, a small, simple device which could uh, render the chip ineffective or something like that? I mean, is it... It's possible. However, this chip literally will be constantly sending signals back and forth to central computers and will inform them if there's anything aberrant in its signals or any any other signals interfering with it. 
uh, these characters at the top are so far ahead in all of this, they think all of these mm. things out in advance. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, I, I'm i thinking of these things, and uh, just about everything I thought of, think of, they're going to be thinking of, other than uh, the discarding the power. I have a question coming in about Ray Kurzweil promoting a cybernetic enhancement. You, oh, yeah. Can you comment on that? Yeah, yeah, it's all over a lot of magazines now. They're pushing this. We see, we've already been conditioned towards the idea, even through the, the Star Trek series and many other things that we've seen and forgotten, but your subconscious never forgets. And uh, with the Star Trek series, eventually they had the, 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 the space station at the very end, sort of Babylon something, they call it Babylon 5 or something. And in that series, the doctor on the station was the most intelligent person, and he was genetically enhanced, where they removed what they called defective genes or problem genes and replaced them with superior genes to make him perfect. You also see it, we've already had conditioning in movies like Gattaca, a future where there's two classes of society, those who still mate in the ordinary way and give birth in the ordinary way and become second-class citizens and those who get all the best jobs and have respect because they're superior, they're genetically enhanced. Uh, this is already being pushed uh, through magazines and novels and, um, and drama, etc., to make people, to get them accustomed to the idea so they'll slip into the transformation. See, most people don't live their lives, they float through their lives. There are ideas that they have and the opinions they hold are induced opinions. They're marketed into their minds for them. Uh, people floated through the whole transfer of technology and the factories to China back in the, the late 80s, beginning right through the 90s. Most people didn't even notice it happening. They didn't even notice that it happened. Now it's all normal that everything's made in China, but the average person doesn't even reflect on how come, what made it happen. They don't realize that 60 or 70 years in preparation and negotiations had to be done to make that happen. So most people don't live their lives. They are technically unconscious. They've drifted through their lives like creatures of instinct. It's like, speaking of John Lennon, uh, a quote that life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. We, we have another fast blast coming in from uh, Neil, who has... Uh, uh, hi, James. What does Mr. Watt think about the story coming from Benjamin Fulford, the X4 magazine Asia desk editor, about the conflict between the Illuminati, especially the Rockefellers, and the Chinese secret society tongs regarding the use by the Illuminati of race-specific diseases to depopulate Asia? Well, if we can hold that, we'll come right back to that. Also, I did forget I wanted to ask you about the full use of Zionism and anti-Semite and all that stuff, so you can just hold on for a second. We will take a break and then come back with those two things to kick off um, gosh, the last half hour. See, I told you, when you have Alan on here, time flies, and it's it's uh, a lot to think about. So 888-863-2722 to squeeze you in the last half hour. It's live, it's feet to the fire, and we'll be right back.
are listening to Feet to the Fire. Você está escutando ao Feet to the Fire. Bienvenue. Vous écoutez Feet to the Fire. You are listening to Feet to the Fire. With the Black Knight. <gasps> All right, so we got to get in here, uh, and welcome back, Alan. You know, as uh, as we have you on the show, people start to get involved, they get into it, and now questions are flying in, and we got a half hour left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, on that, um, I, that question that came in about the Illuminati uh, versus the Chinese uh, uh, Tong, I think it was, is that something you talked about, where you have the Titans fighting, uh, so to speak? Well, I do know that the Chinese... Uh, were upset when they went to the SARS outbreak that we had uh, in the Far East and in, in Toronto a few years ago because they've narrowed it down to being a race-specific virus which they think was bioengineered in the laboratory. We know they have them because uh, I've got documentation. It was in the Daily Mail some years ago by a reporter who went in to see the scientists at Port and Downs Laboratory in England and he sat around their table and he says these guys were quietly, calmly discussing at their lunch break about all their race-specific viruses they had. They could kill any race off they wished or any DNA type that they wished. Well, the Chinese have sort of narrowed the SARS virus down and possibly this new avian flu to being man-made in laboratory. It's a very simple process today. They can do it in one day, in fact, alter a virus and reconstitute re, uh, it into a new type. It's a very quick process today, uh, and so they're very upset about it. They think that they're going to be they're the guinea pigs to have their race brought down fast as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if the triads and the tongs were were uh, talking at least talking about some kind of revenge. Yeah, that would make sense. And I would wonder if uh, you know, maybe part of our our uh, synchronistic hope is that uh, with the evil not wanting to share power and that there is an end in sight it seems like the end game is coming that they might get a little excited and start fighting amongst themselves uh, early so to speak they, they might but see China is in a, a unique position because it, so quickly uh, this supposed communist system that's supposed to, it's still communist supposedly in theory um, has created a, a, a high middle class very rich incredibly rich very quickly and uh, with a vast uh, amount of underdog population uh, there's a tremendous gulf between the two and um, and naturally they're in a better position down below to see what's coming their way they know that if the world's population is to be re- reduced drastically in the west it also means that there'll be no need for all those laborers and factories in China and they're quite right the elite will only need uh, a few factories to keep uh, up with their, their own needs for themselves since the vast majority of the public are to be called off down the road so the, the Chinese certainly are in a position to to have a better perspective on what's happening and they study western politics far more in detail in school because they're supposed to be communistic they have far, far more data on what's happening in the west than the average western person gets taught themselves now, uh, uh, back to this Zionism thing. Uh, it, 
I was a little surprised when I had this guest on uh, last week who was a Christian end-time uh, eschatology th- theologian type thing. And uh, he was toting the uh, United States uh, and Israel being the good guys type thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. And how does one uh, go about walking that very politically, publicly type balanced position to go against, say, Israel as a governmental agency versus a Jewish state, uh, Jewish people, and say, for example, the United States versus the American people uh, uh, type thing. How do you, it's kind of a tough nut to crack because of the faithfulness uh, by those following. Yeah, you have to get past the emotional qualities, the emotive forces behind it, and go into the history of it. And you find that when Britain was pushing its empire in the 1800s, that's when the royal, uh, the royalty, the, the what we call the establishment in England, the ones who always owned Britain uh, and London, uh, they pushed to have a whole bunch of agencies set up that would promote the British Empire as being a good thing abroad. And the first thing they had to do was convince their workers, their own upper middle class that were strutting around the globe in red uniforms and epaulettes, etc., that they were the chosen of God. So they, they invented British Israelism. That was an, a, an invention uh, of a particular group associated with Cecil Rhodes and Lord Milner, Lord Alfred Milner, that now runs the, the they're on the round table groups for the UN, uh, which is part of the whole British establishment, by the way. That's the old agenda. And so they had to create factions of the ordinary British people to make them believe through religion that they were actually the lost tribes of Israel and the Jews were their cousins and they should all work together towards a common goal. It was just after that once they... And this, this movement really started off and took off. And people even today, mainly in the U.S., still believe that they're members of the lost tribes. And it is a fabricated thing that came out of uh, the Royal Institute of International Affairs uh, to, to make to make them believe they were doing the right thing as they conquered the globe and brought supposedly a Christian civilization to the world. They were doing God's work. Religion has always been used by the powers that be to control the minds of the people and to use them. And there's nothing greater than a common cause under religion to motivate the public. So they invented British Israelism. Well, after that, Lord Balfour um, uh, he gave the Balfour Declaration in cahoots with uh, Rothschild to take over or put in uh, a group within the Middle East that would cause dissension with the, the people who lived there already uh, years down the road. And the man who was Lieutenant Governor for Palestine in the 1930s um, was Sir Ronald Storrs. He literally had had the power of the king or the queen of England over in Palestine. And you should read his memoirs of how they set up Israel. And he said a, a tremendous little, a little phrase that everyone misses. He said, we have set up in this land, this hostile land, he said, a little Ulster. Now what that means, England put, put a, a whole bunch of foreigners into Ireland uh, a few hundred years ago they became Ulster and they were hard wing Scottish Presbyterian fundamentalists that ended up ruling over the Catholic majority and they were hated up to this day 
and, and here's a lord, a British lord, with the power of a king, the authority of a king, set up in Palestine saying, we will do the same, we're doing the same thing here. And who, who they, they used for that was, was uh, to bring in uh, primarily Russian Jews and settle them in to a new place. That was their new Ulster, a place designed to cause dissension for decades and decades to come. That was from the horse's mouth. But yeah, I think the, the, you said it in your very first sentence. The deal is to separate yourself emotionally from this aspect because, in his scenario, they are doing God's will and will be rewarded as such. And in that same sentence, they're justifying killing, uh, and, and yet their name being of Christ, uh, who <laughs> obviously didn't teach to kill. It to me, it's so ludicrous that I I don't know how do you deal with these contradictions well, you know, and not lose your temper you can't, you can't deal with them um, George Orwell explained it in his book 1984 the process of double think is the conditioned process close to psychosis where an individual can hold two conflicting opposite opinions in their head at the same time and believe in them both well that's psychotic, you can't argue with that you know what, I just, just realized something um that would explain why I get nutty when I deal with people like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, it's still I still should be able to be calm about the whole thing, but I mean, it kind of gives me the insight because I'm so passionate and honest with my feelings. I mean, yeah. You know, I'm I'm a real so that when I deal with this stuff, it it makes me nutty, and and it explains it because it is nutty. <laughs> it is nutty. There's no logic to it. Uh, uh, supposing you were lined up by a firing squad and they said we're going to kill you because you're a gypsy um, or, or you have the wrong colored eyes and the reason we have to kill you is because our holy book tells us so uh, you, you could never talk your way out of that these people would be mad to even think that and it's the same thing when you hear these supposed supposed Christians which are as remote from Christianity original Christianity as Pluto is from the moon, and uh, and they don't know it. They are technically mad. Yeah. Well, that, you know that uh, I actually I actually feel better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> better now thinking about it. That is the answer. And now I could uh, I can get myself positioned as such that if I'm in, if and when I'm in the position, I I will remember that, and I think that will help me personally very much on that. How do you? Yeah. Uh, one thing I like about you is that you're talking from a very educated authoritative type position i mean you're you're not just stuff isn't just popping in your head i mean you've done a lot of research and all that how do you um how could you come across with this a strong logical position and not have an ego pounding type thing you know you're 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 not out there forcefully pushing some type of a, a face you're just talking about it and, and, well, and it's a refreshing to, yeah um you have to because you you can't get involved in emotive debates. Emotion without knowledge uh, is is pretty well homicidal. We see it all over the world with with homicidal types, all fighting for what they supposedly believe in, and yet they don't know their own histories. Most of them, it's beliefs that they they fight and die for. Um, the average American troop who joins up the, the military today is a mercenary he's grown up playing uh, video games to kill people be on the winning team 
and the good guys in the movies always live they never get killed and the bad guys can't shoot straight um, you can't deal with someone who's been brought up and conditioned that way they have to find out for themselves unfortunately and in academia uh, they're allowed to talk about Zionism they're allowed to talk about all these emotive topics because they don't lose their heads while they're discussing them but the general public, unfortunately, because of the conditioning they've had from the top, uh, go overboard with emotion, and they'll, they'll fight each other. On, even on camera, we see some shows on television where they start fighting each other uh, physically over emotive topics. They can't handle their own emotions. And um, some of the higher occultic, the old stuff, is, is very, very true the three unworthy craftsmen uh, all belong within yourself one is the architect because you plan your own future if you're a wise person and you have emotion and you have wrong action and unless you balance all of them together you'll end up in destruction or destroying others uh, I've done some reading on a, uh, uh, a work that's called the raw material it was uh, actually channeled by uh well, this raw entity. And when I was listening to it, though, there seemed to be some pretty good concepts in there. I immediately suspected that it was manipulative in nature and that they do give you some truth in, 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 along with some manipulation. And, and I seem to be able to have something inside me that the, the little truth stuff sticks yeah. to me until I work around it. But one of the things I, I thought that was interesting was the concept of this uh, service to others, service to self, and what have you. Uh, it seems that the real idea of service to others in a corporate sense, including yourself, is being manipulated by service to others as in slave to others. Yeah, you'll find all these channels. I never I never watch TV, so I have a different channel for everything. <laughs> channel, channel 2, of course, you must understand, channel means the way of L. You see, a channel is, is, a, is a path, it's the way. It's where you put water down and it flows. It channel it. And so you have all these words that people don't even understand what, what it means when they're using them. They adopt them, as I say. They adopt their opinions. They're induced into them. And they just repeat them like parrots uh, without thinking. However, words themselves will affect your, yourself subconsciously and motivate you in ways which you don't understand. It's called psycholinguistics. And it's used against the public. It's well understood. But... Uh, but yeah, service to others is exactly what the elite have said a hundred years ago, in fact, uh, with, the, with the, the Lord Milner group that became the Round Table Society of today. They will create a society where the average person, the majority of people, their only function will be to serve the state, meaning others, technically others, but it's the state itself they will serve. So they're really heavily promoting this service but, but no one asks, wait a minute, who's making the decision as to what service means? And for whose state, for whose world, for whose future? It's for the elites again, of course. Right, and that's that's where they, they take a principle that may strike truth inside someone and then manipulate it very cleverly so that it, you can go toward, toward them. Like, for example, you mentioned the word channel, and, and this is, for me personally, there's words and things that I just don't like. Now, I, I didn't actually go into the... Uh, Empanology of the word channel, mm -hmm. but I didn't. Every time I hear it, I just don't like it. Now, is it possible that there is some kind of communication going on with that word 
beyond my consciousness? Uh, in a sense, they could. They can. I mean, they admit they can use the harp technology, and it has been proven and, and disclosed and declassified information from government. They can put a secondary signal on the harp and actually make you think you're hearing things in your in your head from from the harp itself. Um, I mean, what I'm however, referring to, though, I'm, I'm kind of referring to my not liking the term. It's almost mm-hmm. like when someone says, well, I, they, they had a channel, it's like... It still happens today in Pentecostal churches and charismatic churches, but there's always generally an elderly lady who stands up and starts channeling God. And uh, the, the message is always the same. You must love one another, blah, blah, blah. Um, but that's the little spot of, of the limelight for the week. But that's an innate thing within human nature, all these religious uh, motivations, archetypal motivations. So so it's almost a normal thing in a sense. It doesn't mean that it's true, though. Uh, you find that Zeta Reticuli was the main source, supposedly, in the 70s and 80s of all these channeled events uh, from aliens and Zeta Reticuli, the star cluster. And... Uh, once that got out on the internet eventually uh, every channeler was adopting the same thing it's done through induction they just copy one another yeah I have a question coming in excuse me Um, can you uh, let's see uh, could Alan comment on whether or not this problem in the global economy is being caused on purpose to lead us to the North American Amero also, the Federal Reserve people mentioned last week that the Federal Reserve would not lower rates unless there was a calamity. Sure enough, the next day they lowered the discount rate. Was this done on purpose to tell us something if we were listening? Yes, we have been conditioned for years now uh, that we're going to amalgamate. Uh, we've already got it in our heads because we see it with, with Europe. Once it's happened one other place, it seems quite natural to happen to the next place. And they, they, they know that. They have us all prepared for it. And over the last few years, you'll see that the American dollar, the U.S. dollar, is, is gradually getting on par with the, with the Canadian dollar, almost cent for cent. And once that happens and we amalgamate the two, the next thing is to drop us like a stone as we go down towards Mexico's level and we'll meet somewhere halfway up. Uh, that's the agenda. And they have written about this a long time ago. Uh, in 1906, I think it was, even the main Masonic Lodge in Pennsylvania had a world meeting. There was a Christian Lodge where all the different Masons in from the Blue Lodges and, and all the other Eastern Stars and, and the convocation there. They discussed the eventual unification of the Americas, including Mexico, where they'll join the Eagle of Mexico back with the, the Eagle of the U.S. This is old stuff. We're just living a plan. This is a long-term business plan. And your grandparents were living through it, too, and your parents, and they didn't know either. Another comment that came in was, uh, you're talking about channeling. Uh, Forgetting that word channel, but how about saying information that pops in your head? Uh, uh, Do you allow for the possibility that there would be coming from a spiritual side of oneself uh, as well? I mean, do you you, you, uh, have an opinion that there is a spiritual being here, that uh, there's another side to us? and that that communication may be uh, valid but must be tested to, to see where it actually comes from? It always, whatever information comes, yeah, should always be tested. I mean, um, I don't hear voices. When I say things pop to my head, I don't hear like, blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, it's just like an idea. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. And I would imagine that's from my infrastructure, be it yeah. my 
subconscious or a spiritual connection with a higher soul or what have you. Uh-huh. But I would think that the false things could be tested uh, for a difference. It's always close, but tin. You know, it's not. That's right. That's right. Even in ancient times, they always said to test the spirits, meaning to test the information that comes or is as it's presented to you, to think it through. And there's no doubt the elite themselves believe, and I know it's true, there is such a thing as telepathy for for some people, not for most. It's, it's um, I think a lot of people have lost it over centuries, and it's definitely drummed out of you when you're a child once you get into this economic system starting with school they start drumming all of that out of you they'll tell the children don't talk nonsense stop playing stop having such silly ideas and you, you, you start getting trained to earn money that's the whole purpose of school um, so you can pay taxes so telepathy in itself is a natural thing Arnold Toynbee talked about it at his meeting that he had and I think it was in, in Sweden or Denmark in the 1930s, and he was the professor who taught the top road scholars for world government. Uh, he said that a thought, an original thought, can be transmitted from a person in the right way who thinks it and be picked up by individuals all over the world at the same time. And that is true. Uh, an original thought or idea, if pro- properly thought out and powerfully thought by a powerful individual, it can be picked up across the world by individuals. And that's the fire that you were talking about earlier that can start. Uh, many tyrants in the past, um, Mao Zedong and other ones, have, have said they're not afraid of guns and bullets. They're afraid of someone with a true idea that can catch like fire amongst the people. Well, you know what What I like about what you're doing is you're, you're giving sobering data, but you uh, it's it, there's actually real hope or you know it it doesn't look good i mean you're not like coming up with the uh, flowers here but uh the people who i've talked to generally get pieces of it they'll get this they'll get that but then there'll be a position of them that's kind of like flawed and you figure well you know no one can have it all and it's nice to see you that you can look at things very pragmatically but yet you then also look at things and say yeah well if the ancients wrote about this spiritual and, and uh, telepathy and all that it's refreshing to have somebody who's able to look at all these sides yeah if you can get above that's the whole thing is getting above all the worry and all of the indoctrination that, that's happening daily with so much news bombarding us of, the, the, of what's happening it's like psychological warfare and psychological warfare uh, the top boys say it doesn't matter if they give the bad news to us or someone who's opposing them uh, is giving the bad news to the public. As long as the public get the bad news, that's the whole point of it. So, yeah, I don't even follow into all the daily bad news. I know the agenda. I get above it all. I don't let time stop me. I don't let this, this little life here stop me. I see the past and the future and that way, you see all aspects of it, and then you're above it. Then you see a path through it. Maybe not for everyone, but for some. Uh, what do you think? I got a question coming in here, and I'm going to phrase it because I don't want to get into individuals. Okay, but what do you think about the um, whether they be authors or talk show hosts or what have you that are self-proclaimed worst enemies of the New World Order types, you know, that type of thing. Uh, 
How much of that is ego, how much of it is true, and how much of it is simply somebody being used by the system for propaganda or whatever? Well, um, as I say, uh, the elite always know that for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. So traditionally in history they have given us our heroes to follow. That again is standard technique. And you can read all about that if you go into the histories of the British diplomatic corps. They trained these guys in, in uh, starting up oppositions to themselves, to plans which they would bring abroad. They, they trained these guys to be provocateurs and how to lead people against them and always to their own uh, dismay or chagrin they ended up being defeated but um, there's no doubt amongst the rating business in, in, in radio or television um, business comes into it unfortunately and then egos take over and all I'm disgusted with commerce in itself I don't like commerce I don't like this commercialized system at all. And when you find it within the business of, of uh, um, people who are playing the, the, the patriotic part to start fighting with each other over ratings, um, it's rather disgusting. It's, it's sad. It's sad to see that so many people are relying upon them, and, and here they are tooting their own horns and fighting over trivia when so much is at stake because their businesses won't be there either if they just think it through when the, if the elite have their way they've got to stop fighting each other and get real here because the big boys are being very real to us <laughs> oh alan you said it so well i get i firsthand can talk about this battle which i will not get into and but we're out of time <laughs> Tell us quickly where you can go. I have website. I have your website. I'm going to have uh, links and, and banners to your stuff because people got to get a hold of this. But how can they get a hold of you? Cutting through the matrix. Yeah, the, one site is cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and the other one is alanwattsentinel.eu for all the the, the the foreign language transcripts they can download for free. And uh, go in there, and you'll find in the, in the matrix one too. You'll find lots of uh, hundreds of free talks giving histories and so on of this particular system and where it's going. There is tons of, of stuff there that I highly recommend it. Alan, I appreciate spending time with us. We'll, we'll be talking to you about uh, ways we can promote your stuff here on uh, our system, uh, banners and whatnot. Thanks a lot for your time and your honesty. It's a pleasure. Glad to be on. Yeah. All right. There we go. Um, we'll be back again live next week. Feet to the fire. And we gotta, we do have to get past the fighting and look at the real enemy and get together. God. I know, I know it can be done. Anyway, we'll see you next week.